Well, this morning we have Jason Lawler coming to speak with us. Jason's one of our student ministries pastors, and they're doing a great job, by the way. You may have heard mostly about Marshmallow Mayhem and things like that, but they meet regularly and lead small group leaders and work with all of our young people. And Jason's going to come and help us look through Joshua 24, not just backward the way Carlos did last week, but forward and what difference that needs to make in our lives. Thanks for coming, Jason. Thanks. Well, good morning. It's really great to be with you guys. I'm really excited. It's an honor uh, and a privilege to share with you this morning. Um, couple things. I, well, we're glad to see you guys. If you're visiting after Christmas, we're really glad you're here. Uh, some of you are our regulars. We're glad you're here. Some of you, you feel like you got to come to church and do your business with God for him to take your prayer seriously next Sunday for the Falcons game. Whatever, whatever your reason is for being here, we're grateful that you are here. Now, I said this last service, before you boo, just let me finish. I got booed last service. Not the best way to start your first ever sermon is getting booed. So just chill out for a second. I am from Chicago. The Bears are not in the playoffs. I'm all in on the Eagle bandwagon, all right? So listen, they tell you when you're communicating, let's build some common ground with the audience first. So I thought if you thought I was an Eagles fan, maybe you'd listen better. All in on the bandwagon. And uh, as I am from Chicago, I'm used to the cold weather. My mother-in-law legitimately blames me for it here. So I'm sorry that you have to deal with the weather. But I'm excited to be here. I grew up in Chicago, born and raised. I've lived here for about five years now. I've been on staff for just over four. It's really exciting to work with our students. They're over here, and they, we have an awesome group of students here. But growing up in Chicago, I was really involved with soccer. I played a lot of soccer. For whatever reason, soccer is also something that gets a bad rap up here. So Chicago and soccer. I'm not from Dallas or New York, so at least I have that going for me. But played soccer my whole life played really, really competitively, and uh, was on a, on a competitive team in high school. We traveled around the country. I traveled once, twice a month to other states and things like that, playing really, really high-level competitive soccer. And that was kind of my story. I kind of, it took up a lot of my life, and I really thought I was going to play Division I soccer. That was my goal. That was my teammates were all going to play Division I soccer. That was a huge lifelong goal of mine. My, my soccer career was heading in that direction. And so my, my sophomore, junior year rolls around, and I start getting recruited. I start going on some visits. And it was during that time of my life that I really felt God uh, putting ministry on my heart, really felt like he was pulling me in that direction. And so I was kind of trying to navigate this going to a Division I school, playing high-level soccer, but wanting to study ministry. And I remember going on my first ever official recruiting visit. And I remember driving home with my dad and just saying, hey, <clears throat> I don't, this doesn't feel like the best fit for me. I don't this doesn't feel like something I should be doing. I feel like God is calling me to, to something different. And there was a school that was close to where I grew up. It's called Wheaton College, small school, Division Three, And they had a great Division Three soccer program, not quite Division One, but there was also a Christian school. And so I could study ministry and I could play high-level soccer. And it felt like a great kind of intersection of the two things I was passionate about. Well, unfortunately, going a Division One route, you kind of bank on a scholarship. And so I was hoping, my parents were hoping I'd get a scholarship, play Division I. Unfortunately, if you play a Division III sport, there are no athletic scholarships available. And so talking to my parents, we decided, hey, we'll make this, we'll, we'll try out Wheaton if that's really where you feel like God is leading you, but we want you to know we really, we really only have money for one year. Anything after one year is kind of gravy, but we can only say for sure you can go for one year. And so we decided we were going to trust God and I was going to go to Wheaton. And so I went through my freshman year. It was great. No problems. Go back for my sophomore year. And it was about November. And in November, is everyone's registering for classes the following semester, 
And unfortunately, I couldn't register. I had a, a, a hold on my account. And the reason they freeze your account is if your, your balance is, is outstanding. And, and you don't have to have a zero balance, but it has to be below a certain level, and mine wasn't, and so there was a, a freeze on my account. And so I called my dad, and we talked about it. He's like, hey, I'm, unfortunately, this, this could just be where the road ends. We knew this was a possibility. There's nothing really we can do about it. We, we looked through all the loan options, and it just felt like that might have been the end of my time at Wheaton, three semesters. And, and it was a bummer, but I couldn't really be that mad about it because I was prepared ahead of time that that was a possibility. So the next day, this is not a joke, the next day I get a phone call after having that conversation with my dad. And the phone call is from someone in our student accounts office. And they said, hey, uh, we wanted to let you know somebody came into our office today and they paid anonymously enough of, off of your account that you're, there's no longer a freeze on your account. You can register for classes. I thought, wow, like who would do that? It was, there was a lot of money on there. And so if someone came in, they didn't want the credit, they said, give this to Jason Lawler and I could register for classes. I got to go for another semester. I called my dad. It was, it was amazing. We, we gave grace, we gave praise to God who just was so gracious to us. And, and it, it was so amazing. And the next day, the same woman called me back and she said, hey, <clears throat> just wanted you to know the same person came back to our office and they actually paid your account in full. And I, I was floored. I mean, it, it, was, it was, to say an answer to prayer is putting it lightly. It was, it was amazing. It was incredible. I've never experienced such a tangible grace and provision of God like that. And so I went to Wheaton thinking, I'm definitely going for one year. And by the grace of God, somehow, because of the, the, the provision of anonymous, anonymous donor, graduated in four years. And it was amazing. It was amazing. But the theme is that God showed up and graciously intervened kind of in the last moment. And that's a story that's pretty similar to the story of Israel that we heard last week. The, story, the stories that Joshua tells the people of Israel in Joshua 24 that Carlos talked about. And we're, he's in Joshua 24. It's kind of Joshua's end of life speech as he's kind of preparing Israel for what's next. And we're not going to reread the whole thing, but just as, a, as an overview, in case you weren't here, some of the stories that Joshua reminds the people of Israel of as he wants to remind them of God's faithfulness and gracious intervention. He says, hey, remember God called Abraham. And remember he called him into an unknown land, a land he had never been. And God was faithful to provide for Abraham, even though Abraham entered the unknown. And remember, we were in slavery in Egypt, but God sent Moses to deliver our people from slavery. And remember, Balaam was going to curse us, and God didn't allow that to happen. He intervened, and actually, Balaam ended up blessing us and our people. And I could have, you could have been delivered into the hands of your enemies time and time again, but I delivered you from your enemies. And, and what Joshua wants the people to see is this theme, this theme that God, God has graciously intervened for us. And those aren't the only examples of God's faithfulness, but those are the examples that Joshua chooses as he's, re, as he's kind of recounting Israel's history. And the theme doesn't end there. The theme of God's faithfulness extends long after Joshua's life. And we know this because we have something Joshua doesn't have. We have the rest of the scriptures. We have the rest of the Bible. We have the rest of the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. We can see the theme of God's faithfulness. We can see the theme of God's gracious intervention continued long after Joshua leaves. And it's important to note because when, when you and I, when we describe someone, we can say, oh, that person is, person is so kind. That person is so loving. That person is so gracious. And, and pe many people I know have those qualities, but they're also human. So if I'm loving, I'm going to have instances where I am unloving. God is not like that. 
because God is unchangeable and unmoving. So for God to be faithful, it means he is faithful 100% of the time. And we can see that theme continue throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And I just want to bring a few examples so that we can see in Scripture, this isn't something I'm just saying, that God is faithful, and it's recognized throughout the rest of Scripture. Isaiah 49, 7. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Psalm 145, 13. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. Hosea eleven twelve, Ephraim has surrounded me with lies, Israel with deceit, and Judah is unruly against God, even against the faithful Holy One. This theme of God's faithfulness continues long after the life of Joshua. And the word that is used to describe the Lord being faithful is this word for God that is Jehovah Ammon. There's numerous names for God in the Old Testament because there's so many characteristics of God. But this word Jehovah Ammon is this word that's used time and time again in the Old Testament, and it means Jehovah Ammon. Or Jehovah Ammon means the Lord is faithful. And all of these instances before Joshua, all of the things that Joshua is bringing up, and all of the instances of Jehovah Ammon being faithful and graciously intervening on behalf of the people of Israel happened long after Joshua's life as well. And it's all building. It's all building up to God's ultimate picture of faithfulness, to God's ultimate example of gracious intervention on behalf of his people in the form of Jesus. See, God continues to graciously intervene when his people don't deserve it. Our stories aren't unlike Israel. Sometimes I read the Old Testament and I think, man, those people are, what are they thinking? They can see all of these examples of God and then I think of my own life and it's not very different. God has graciously intervened for us in the ultimate example of Jesus, even though we didn't deserve it. That is the whole point of the gospel. That we were dead in our transgressions and sins, and when we used to live and we followed the ways of this world, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. That he who knew no sin became sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve it. We chose our own way, much like the people of Israel. Because what Joshua wanted the people of Israel to see is that part of the theme of God's gracious intervention is that there were times in Israel's history where they didn't deserve it. And he doesn't say that when he's retelling these stories, but Israel know. They know that during God's moments of gracious intervention, they did their own thing. They worshiped their own idols instead of Jehovah Ammon. The Lord that had faithfully provided was not the center of their lives and was not the center of their worship. Yet God continued to intervene graciously just like he does for us in the form of Jesus. We didn't deserve it, but God was rich in mercy. And so he sent his son to die on our behalf. See, that is what we deserve. We deserve death. But once again, Jehovah Ammon intervenes on our behalf in an indescribable and undeserved way. And death wasn't the end of Jesus' story. Because on the third day, he rose again. And because death wasn't the end of Jesus' story, death isn't the end of our story either. 
The Bible says if we confess with our mouths Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. If God becomes the center, death is not the end of our story. See, God's gracious intervention on Israel allows Israel's story to continue. See, if God doesn't intervene and God doesn't call Abraham the father of the people of Israel, there is no Israel. End of Bible, that's it. If God doesn't deliver his people from from slavery in Egypt, his people would have died there. But because he graciously intervenes, the story can continue. If God allows his people to be cursed and fall into the hands of their enemies, that's it. No more Israel. See, God's gracious intervention allows the story of Israel to continue. And God's gracious intervention in our lives, when we don't deserve it, in the form of Jesus, allows our story to continue. It allows death to not be the end for us. And the whole scriptures are building to the arrival of Jesus, who is the ultimate and perfect picture of God's intervention. And we read in Revelation 3, when I was reading this, I thought it was so cool. And so this is just a small plug. This is not what this, this uh, message is about. But the more I read the Bible and the more I can see how Jesus connects with the Old Testament, the more the Bible comes alive in just amazing ways. So if you, just nothing else, just read, read your Bible, all right? Which is like the most cliche church thing to say, but it is true. In Revelation 3.14, here's what we read. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. This is talking about Jesus. So Jesus is the faithful and true Amen, but he is, or the faithful and true witness, but he is also the Amen. And what's so cool, I think is so cool, is that the, much of the New Testament is written in Greek. Much of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Amen is the Greek word for the Old Testament, Amon. As in Jehovah Amon, the Lord is faithful. So Jesus is the ultimate picture of the Amon. He is the Amen. He is the final faithful picture of the faithful one. He is the ultimate faithful and intervening example of the faithful and graciously intervening God. So for God was so faithful, he sent his son to die on our behalf so we could experience new life in him. That's the point of the gospel. That is, that is the climax of the Bible, that, that Jesus came, died, and was resurrected. So the question remains, what is our response? We want to look ahead to 2018. The Bible is nothing if not applicable to our life. It's not just an irrelevant book of stories. It's something that's meant to be applied to our life because it's life-giving and life-changing. So what is our response? Why does God's faithfulness matter to us individually? And why does God's faithfulness matter to us as a church and as a community? Well, let's read what Joshua says because Joshua's retelling of these verses has a point. It's not just reflection for the sake of reflection. There's a call to action. So we're going to read in Joshua chapter 24, starting in verse 14. If you have your Bible, feel free to take it out. We have seatback Bibles in front of you. You can look on your phone, um, whatever you'd like. But we're going to be in Joshua 24, uh, 14, verses 14 through 24. And here's what Joshua says as his encouragement for a response to God's faithfulness and gracious intervention on behalf of the people. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, 
whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. And if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. So our response to God's faithfulness, as if we're following Joshua here, is a two-step process. And step one is to throw away idols. Joshua's saying, hey guys, the, the, the gods you've been serving that are not Jehovah Ammon, the gods that you are worshiping that are not the Lord that has delivered you and has been faithful to you, throw those away. Because what is at the center of your life will dictate your response. Serving the Lord can't be step one because you cannot serve the Lord in all faithfulness if he is not at the center. That's what Joshua is saying. So step one in serving the Lord in all faithfulness is to throw away your idols. But step two is to serve the Lord in all faithfulness. He's saying the actions in your life will be a direct response and a direct result of what is most important. Your actions cannot be a result of your circumstances because God's faithfulness is not defined by your circumstances. Earlier I told the story of that person graciously uh, allowing me to continue going to school. That was my sophomore year of college. Well, the very next year, like I said, I played soccer. I dealt with some very serious concussion and head trauma issues. Throughout the course of my life, I've had six concussions. My junior year of college, I had three concussions. That year alone, uh, I, was un I was knocked unconscious during a soccer game. And so my junior year was a lot of recovery. And it was a lot of rest. And so for a few weeks, it was, uh, I couldn't do anything that stimulated brain activity which is basically everything. Don't look at your phone, don't listen to music, don't watch TV, don't read anything, don't look at anything stimulating. Essentially, lay in a dark room all day for multiple weeks is what I did. So I would sleep until about 11 a.m. because I was so exhausted all the time. I would walk to lunch, I would walk to the cafeteria, I would walk back to my room after lunch, I would sleep until dinner, I would wake up, I would walk to dinner, after dinner I would go to bed until about 11 o'clock the next day. I did this for two, three weeks. I did extensive work with a neuropsychologist whose diagnosis came back as I, I developed deficiencies in short-term memory. I developed uh, deficiencies in attention span. I developed some intense mood swings. And through it all, I had to think through how this was going to affect my life as an athlete. 
So I'm going into my senior year. Soccer was a huge part of my life. And senior year is kind of the final, my final chance, my final opportunity to lace up the cleats and play some more soccer. It was kind of, you know, 20 plus years of soccer boiled down into one year. I was elected to be captain of the team. I was very excited. But throughout processing and discerning what was best with my doctors, it, was, it, it hardly seemed wise to continue playing. See, they didn't know what would happen if I got another concussion, but the words a coma were thrown out. And that's a word that definitely gets your attention, let me tell you. And so I decided to, to forego my senior year. And let me tell you, that was one of the darkest, most difficult seasons of my life. And let me, I want to say this. I know that not playing soccer like, is very small in comparison to some things some of you guys are going through. I understand that. But that, coupled with the serious health issues I was going through, became a very dark and difficult season for me. But it was in that season that I experienced God in ways that I had never experienced him before. It was that I had never experienced him. It was in that season that I realized that soccer and human approval could no longer be the center of my life. That my life was missing something because God was not at the center. And when he stripped those things from my life, I experienced God in ways I never had before. And in that season of my life, for the first time ever, the cross was enough for me. The cross was enough for me for the first time ever. And the point of that story is that in that season of darkness and in that season of loss and in that season of mourning for me, God was equally as faithful as he was my sophomore year when he provided money for school. See, God, was no, it wasn't that he was no longer faithful to me. He was equally as faithful. And he knew exactly what I needed in that season of my life. See, God's faithfulness is not defined by your circumstances. God's faithfulness is defined by the cross, the ultimate example of his intervention on our behalf in the form of Jesus. So what is at the center of your life? Is money at the center of your life? Then your life and your decisions and your actions will reflect that. Is your job at the center of your life? Then your actions and your decisions will reflect that. Is your spouse at the center of your life? Then your life and your decisions and your actions will reflect that. And here's the thing. Money and jobs, spouses, they are all great, great things, but they are terrible gods. And if God is at the center of your life and you have trusted him, you will serve him in all faithfulness, what Joshua said. It is the only direct result. But by putting God at the center, you're saying, hey, I know I'm not going to do this perfectly. There's going to be days I screw up, but I'm going to commit to waking up and getting out of bed every day and saying yes saying yes to putting God at the center of my life and saying yes to then serving him in all faithfulness. And what I'd love to do for a few minutes is tell you a few stories. Tell you a few stories of people at Calvary who have done that, who have said yes to God being at the center of their life and have responded appropriately by serving him in all faithfulness. Because I get to work here, and it's amazing, and I love working here, and I love this church, but there's people, the, the, the reason Calvary is the church that it is is not because of the staff, it's because of our, our volunteers. It's because of the people who, who get paychecks from other places, but dedicate countless hours and countless, so much energy and effort towards fulfilling our mission here, 
who, who have said yes to these things because they believe in who Jesus is and they want to serve him in faithfulness. And so I'm going to tell you about four people here at Calvary. And these aren't the only people here who have responded this way, but I, I want to tell their story because I hope that it can serve as a, a source of inspiration for us. Uh, Steve Clemmer is someone who, who is a volunteer here, and he does a lot of stuff behind the scenes. He, he works on a lot of these awesome backdrops you see for series and for holidays. Uh, he does a lot of stuff with light fixtures, and Steve's been serving in that capacity for over 40 years. And you'll never see him on the platform. He'll never receive any glory. But he's acting what he's, on what he's passionate about because God's at the center of his, his life, and the only response for him is to serve God in all faithfulness. Drew and Steph Krupp, they're two of our small group leaders in our high school ministry. They've been doing that for over 10 years. And they grew up here at Calvary, and they got to experience small group leaders in their own life, and they know the impact a small group leader can have in the life of a teenager. And so they said, I want to give my life to investing in high school students. And so they're here every Sunday night. They're going to, to, to the schools all the time. Every time I'm at their house, there's students there hanging out. They take weeks paid vacation to go on to summer camp with us in the summer. They've said yes to God being at the center, and their response is, I will serve the Lord in all faithfulness in the lives of teenagers. Ann Hughes is someone else here who serves in our disability ministry. She's been doing that for over 20 years. She was, she was instrumental to us starting a bridge disability program at our Quakertown campus. She's huge in, in our Wednesday night program here in Satterton. And she has said yes to God being at the center of her life and has responded to impacting the lives of families who are affected by disabilities. Ron Chernuka is someone on our Valley parking team. He's been doing that for over 10 years. I can't imagine being on the Valley parking team on a day like today. It gives you a whole new appreciation for what they do and in the heat of the summer too. But Ron stands out there, smile on his face, and parks people's cars. He has said, I will do this faithfully because I know the Lord has been faithful to me. And here's the thing. I'm not telling you to be like these people. Their stories are their stories. And they will do it imperfectly. I will do it imperfectly. But I hope as they serve as inspiration to you as you're thinking through what it could be like to say yes. And if you're sitting there saying, I don't know where to start. This church is huge. There's too many things going on. Too many opportunities. It's overwhelming. I don't know how to say yes. I don't know what to tell you to do. I can't tell you what to do. I can't tell you how to get involved, but I can tell you this. It doesn't matter what you do. Because no matter how you say yes, no matter how you respond to God being at the center, and no matter how you serve him in all faithfulness, you will impact somebody's life no matter what your role is. So just do something. Say yes to something. I know our Quakertown campus are starting a Say Yes campaign. It doesn't matter what you say yes to, but the point is to just do something. And if you sign up for something, if you say yes to something, and it ends up being a terrible fit, it's not for you, you don't like it, great, try something else. No big deal. This is something we're teaching our middle school students right now. Once a semester, we have something on Sunday mornings. We call it Ministry Shadow Sunday. And our middle school students, they sign up to shadow a ministry for a Sunday morning. And they don't do the actual work. They just hang out with the person who is doing the work, and they, they hang out, and they get some information about that service opportunity. The next week on Sunday mornings, we gather as a middle school ministry. We talk about what they learned, what they experienced. 
And then the, the next middle school or the next ministry shadow Sunday, if they had a great time, they can sign up for the same thing. Or if they hated it and it just wasn't for them, they sign up for something different. No big deal. And our goal is by the time our middle school students graduate eighth grade, they have found a ministry that they like, that is fun for them, that is exciting for them, and they sign up to serve regularly. They don't have to do the shadow anymore because they're actually serving. So if you haven't said yes to anything yet, here's my encouragement to you. Fill out a next steps card. You hear Charles or whoever up here every week saying, fill out a next steps card, and you've heard it, and you, it just goes in, in, your one, in one ear, out the other. Today is the day to fill it out. Today is the day to go to the hub, to go to our next step space, to meet someone, to get more information about different ministries. Today is the day to fill out a volunteer application. Today is the day to send an email to our staff, because you know what is always coming but never arrives? Tomorrow. I say tomorrow a lot, right? I'll do the dishes tomorrow. I'll do the laundry tomorrow or clean my room tomorrow. But tomorrow doesn't mean tomorrow, right? At least it doesn't for me. You can ask my wife. Today is the day to say yes. So how I want to close is this. I want to talk about the results. I want to talk about what it could look like if we say yes. What your life could look like individually if you say yes. And how if we all say yes to, number one, God being at the center of our life. And number two, responding by serving him in all faithfulness. What could our church look like? And what could our local community look like? Because here's, here's what I wonder. I wonder how many people are going to uh, approach Steve Clemmer in heaven and say, hey, Steve, uh, I came to Calvary, and I had, some, I had some baggage about church. I had some preconceived notions about what church was and what to expect. But I showed up anyway, and I walked in the auditorium, and I experienced warmth. I experienced comfort. I felt welcome. That was something I had never experienced before. Those were never words I would have attached to church. And because of the environment that you helped create, you opened my heart to hear the message of the gospel. Steve, you never knew me, but you're a big reason why I'm here. I wonder how many people are going to come up to the crups in heaven and say, you believed in me during a time in my life where nothing seemed certain. You showed up in my life in times where nobody else showed up and you never stopped loving me no matter how, how I acted. And it may not have seemed like in the moment you were making a difference, but let me tell you it did. I'm, you're a big reason why I'm here. I wonder how many people are going to come to Ann Hughes in heaven and say because of the nature of our family and the disabilities we're dealing with, we thought we would never be able to go to church. We thought there would never be a church that could provide the support and service that we as a family need, but we heard about Calvary. And we heard about the bridge program, and we tried it out. And not only did my kids get to experience a classroom that I thought they would never get to experience, I got to sit in a church service, which is something I never thought could happen. And Anne, because of your faithful service, I got to hear the gospel. You're a big reason why our family's here. I wonder how many people are going to come up to Ron in heaven and say, yeah, I'm a single mom, three kids. Navigating a parking lot at a church like Calvary is pretty daunting. But I heard through the grapevine that you would park people's cars. So I showed up. Sure enough, you did. It was freezing cold. You stood outside, gave us a smile. My kids got a high five. I got to experience church because you were willing to park my car. 
And I got to hear the life-changing message of the gospel. I got to hear about the grace of God, which is something I never experienced before. Ron, you never knew me, but you're a big reason why I'm here. See, when we say yes, when we appropriately respond to God's faithfulness, God will use us in other people's stories. Because our God is not a dictator who demands that we serve him. Our God is a savior who wants to use us in someone else's story of redemption. So what could our community look like if we all said yes? What could your neighborhoods look like? What could our schools look like? Students, what could your classrooms look like? What could your sports teams look like if you said yes to putting God at the center and responded by serving him in all faithfulness? What could it look like if we said yes? There's a pastor I really like to read his, his stuff. His name's Jim Cimbala. And he's a pastor of a church in Brooklyn called the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Huge church, but when he started, it was kind of a dying church. And he writes this book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. And he talks about when he took over this church, there was like 10 people and the pews were breaking. He remembers there was a time where a couple people sat in the same pew and the pew just broke. It just broke right there in the middle of a service. They had to pause the sermon while they found other places to sit. Most, most months, they had no clue how they were going to pay their bills. It was just, they lived week by week. But Jim did not want to go through the motions as a pastor. And he didn't want his church to go through the motions as a church. He didn't want to go through a Sunday, give a sermon, sing a few songs, see you next week, rinse and repeat. That was their life as a church. And he didn't want that to be their story. And here's a quote from this book that has really impacted me. And here's what Jim says. I despaired at the thought that my life might slip by without seeing God show himself mightily on our behalf. I despaired at the thought that my life might slip by without seeing God work mightily on our behalf. Calvary, I love this church. I love you. I don't even know a lot of you, and I love this church. I really do. It's such a privilege and an honor to be a part of Calvary and what we're doing in our community and what we're doing to continue what Jesus started. And I believe in the potential of this room, and here's why. If you have said yes to putting God at the center of your life, then the powerful spirit of God is inside you. And here's what it says as, as I close in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. If you have said yes to God, the same spirit that God used to raise Jesus from the dead is inside you. And I despair at the thought that a year might go by without seeing God work mightily on our behalf. But I'm confident that if you say yes, we as a church will see God do extraordinary things. Things we couldn't even fathom with our human brains. Be not because of how awesome we all are, but because the spirit of the one who is in you, if you've said yes to God, is powerful enough to raise people from the dead. If you were here for our Christmas services, you saw a highlight video of 2017. And I had to watch that video about oh, 100 times because I actually came on after the video and I did not want to cry in the middle of the service. And I watched it a million times and it brought me to tears so many times. 
Because God did amazing things in 2017. And if you were here, if you saw the video, did you notice how God chose to do the things he did? Through his people. My guess is at the end of 2018, there will be another sort of highlight video because we are fully expecting God to continue to do amazing things. So the question I leave you with is this. How are you going to say yes and respond to God's faithfulness this year? Because at the end of this year, I hope you individually and I hope we as a community don't look back on 2018 with a sense of regret and a sense of good riddance to 2018. I cannot wait for a new year and a fresh start. I hope 2018 is is a year that you individually and we as a community can look back and reflect on how amazing it was to be a part of the ways that God changed people's lives and look back on the ways that God worked mightily on our behalf. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the gracious intervention in the form of Jesus. Thank you for the power that is inside us that you can use to change people's lives. God, we can't wait to see what 2018 holds. And it's in your name.